Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hey there, I'm Mr. Black. And I'm Mr. Green. And we're a couple of guys who met in a comic book store. Together we host the Pint O' Comics podcast, where we invite listeners to join us to talk about movies, TV, comics, music, or just whatever. Starting very soon, we'll be joining up with the fine folks at Forgotten Entertainment, for a special limited series called On the QT, where we talk Tarantino. Every week for 10 weeks, a guest will join us to chat about every Quentin Tarantino movie from Reservoir Dogs to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So join us starting in May 2021. On the QT is available wherever you download your podcasts and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ooh, that's a bingo. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith. And I'm Andrew Tahada. I am a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a freelance writer with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a film and its connection to the DC animated movie universe, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This is yet another DC animated podcast. Welcome to yet another DC Animated Podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That is older than Finding Nemo. That's right. Finding Nemo came out <laughs> after we were friends. Do you feel old? Because we sure do. That movie was just a life motto in itself. So as we just keep swimming along and including someone who likes to swim a lot, we're going to talk about today, Justice League, the throne of Atlantis, where we're introduced to Aquaman. The hero of the people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Time to dive into the movie, Justice League, throne of Atlantis. Based on the 2012-2013 comic by Jeff Johnson and Ivan Rice, this 2015 film directed by Ethan Spaulding introduces us to the king of the seven seas, Aquaman. At a runtime of 72 minutes, we're introduced to Atlantis thanks to Matt Lanter as Aquaman, Suma Lee Montano as Mira, Orm is voiced by Sam Witwer, who honestly I feel is like the only villain in every DC production recently. <laughs> He's getting that money. Uh, Serena Irwin as Queen Atlanta and Henry Lennox as Black Manta. We also see the comeback of our league voices, but some are new and pretty big ones, including Jerry O'Connell as Superman, Rosario Dawson as Wonder Woman, and the return of Nathan Fillion as Green Lantern. Yes. Ah, just so lovely to hear his voice. Every time he speaks, the movie gets 10% better. <laughs> He's just so good. He's just so good. <laughs> so we start off opening into a submarine filled with U.S. soldiers, either in the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean, which for me is the, the one issue that I already have because there's a continuity error in this film in wait, the first wait, five minutes. Wait, that's not the thing I was going to talk about, my problem, but <laughs> wait, what's the continuity error? 
at the beginning of it, they're talking about that they're in the Atlantic Ocean, all the soldiers. But then when Steve Trevor comes in to talk to Cyborg about the missing ship, he says that they were in the Pacific. Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> I don't know if this is a continuity error or the government just governmenting as always. That is remarkable because I sense something was off about the beginning of this movie. The beginning of the movie is very paint by numbers and it's weird because the last few DC movies we've watched in this continuity have really strong, memorable openings. And here it's just a bunch of guys on a submarine, guys talking about his son that has all the Superman and other hero action figures. And then the ship is attacked. We don't find out their names. We don't know what they were doing out in the sea. They just die instantly and that's the opening there's no humanity given it's such a weird weird choice to start the movie yeah i agree i i didn't even remember if it wasn't for the fact that the continuity error was like where were they exactly (laughs) so right away we're not off to the greatest start as we transition to the justice league headquarters aka the super seven headquarters which is a great running gag because shazam called it super seven back in Justice League War. So this was a nice nod to it. And we see that Cyborg is there alone and that the other Justice League members are just too busy to come in. So right away, we're trying to make up for that lackluster beginning with this interesting idea of the Justice League members have their own life. They're not indebted to be a team. So what could draw them together again? I think that's a really interesting question. Yeah, and the really cool part about it, too, is that even though that they have their separate lives, you see this one moment of interconnectedness between Superman and Wonder Woman, who happen to have a date in Athens, Greece. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're flying above Greece, taking in the mm-hmm. sights as we see something in their relationship has developed. It's kind of interesting to see the two of them together. I'll address this relationship a little bit later on. But it's interesting to see them together before we hard cut to Aquaman, who is the drunkest man in every bar you've ever seen. (laughs) And he's also talking to a lobster, which is my favorite thing about it all, because it's Aquaman. And already Aquaman doesn't have the best history, I will say, most recently of being cool or respected. And here he is drunk talking to a lobster granted he is grieving over the death of his father but as he's talking to this lobster he immediately gets into a fight with some people who are also in the restaurant and as he's fighting it seems like everybody that's going to be involved in his life is just watching over this (laughs) mira looking on it's just like oh man this guy's taking some taking some hits (laughs) yeah he is tanking those hits though despite This is our our weekly quota of who's the most jacked. The most jacked people in this movie are everybody in that bar fight against Aquaman. They are trying to give him the business, but unfortunately for them, he is half Atlantean, making him more resistant to their blows. So they could swing at him all day. It really doesn't hurt him that much. He's just knocked down. And he's drunk, so he's a little off balance. But he takes them all down. Even the guy who was <laughs> going to straight up murder him with a knife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like he was the biggest guy of all, too. <laughs> I guess bar fights are really serious wherever Aquaman lives, which I don't know if they ever said where he lives. Uh, I believe it's in 
Yeah, I remember now it was in Maine. He was in um, his continuity in comics. He's mostly in Boston, especially in this new 52 era. But now we see that he's in Maine, I guess, to really tie into this lighthouse connection that he has. Because after the fight, as I mentioned, he's still being seen by a bunch of people, including some other big characters like Dr. Stephen Shin. And by the end of it, he starts making his way home where he's just drunkenly walking through his lighthouse, calling out to his father and remembers that his father has passed. So we kind of see this moment of Aquaman is now alone. There's just so much sadness and trauma that this man is just bringing forward. Yeah, he definitely feels like any millennial just <laughs> lost an outcast in the wind. He has no real career aspirations. He doesn't seem to have a job of any kind. Maybe he's the lighthouse operator. Who knows? We never see him do his job. So uh, <laughs> we don't know, but yeah, he is, he is isolated and alone, which is a great place to put him in at the beginning. And speaking to isolated and alone, we go over to cyborg Cyborg decides to investigate the sub by himself, and he is immediately attacked by fish people. Luckily, he has the skills, the tools, and the sonic cannons to get away from them just in the nick of time. And this is when he's like, okay, I was joking about calling the Justice League earlier, but yeah, now now it's about time to call those guys. Especially because he, while he's there, he realizes that there are some missiles that were on that submarine that were missing. So again, what was this submarine up to while underneath the water there? And as he calls everybody in, only a few people show up. Only Shazam and Flash actually show up. Which is another he, great callback when you, when you think about, because that's who he was closest to in Justice League War. He had this mm-hmm. great relationship with both of them. So it's really fitting that those are the first two that we see. Yeah, and then they immediately, after a conversation about where the rest of the league is, decide to start gathering them. And Flash reaches out to Green Lantern, Cyborg and Shazam boom tube over to Superman and Wonder Woman who are having a date. They are dressed in their plain clothes and glasses, hiding their identities. Like, no one's going to know who these super people are. Yeah, it's great because not only are they trying to be incognito, but Superman takes... Wonder Woman to a Greek restaurant, I presume in Metropolis, which is like, what a downgrade. You were in Athens yesterday. (laughs) You could easily fly over there and get actual Greek food. But you're like, no, let's go to the Greek guy's restaurant down the street in Metropolis. (laughs) Oh, man, I forgot about that. (laughs) This this man, he is on a reporter salary. I'll I'll give him that. That, But that is true. Come on, soups. (laughs) But this is a cute little quick scene where we see, again, Wonder Woman trying to understand what Clark is going through, trying to blend into being human. And you see their relationship kind of deepening again before they get interrupted. And they look outside and it's like, oh, the boys are here. We better get this to go and leave. And Green Lantern also joins the recruitment after he's been recruited. He goes over to Gotham to find Batman, who does not care, does not want to be a part of this league. He saw the memo and decided that, nah, this meeting could be an email. And <laughs> he's Batman is following a gang of scarecrows, trying to find out where the scarecrow is. And Green Lantern intervenes. So we get a chance to see this Batman, Green Lantern chemistry come back up, where this sense of do better is, I guess, really the conversation the two of them have, where Green Lantern is proud of the work he's done. But Batman reminds him of, like, these are all the things that you missed. And... It goes back to that 
Justice League War dynamic in which they had of Batman looking to Green Lantern and being somebody better, but he's still making these same kiddish mistakes that he just does not want to see happen from someone with so much power. Absolutely. He's out here when he's trying to stop Scarecrow goons. Batman wants to interrogate them, but Green Lantern just spins him around and gives them severe head trauma. Like they are not okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. the car. <laughs> I think they might all be dead. Um, yeah. So it's really rough. And you see that Green Lantern is still has a long way to go, but somehow this blatant act of homicide gets him to recruit Batman back to justice league headquarters where <laughs> I just got to say, this movie has a lot of scenes that are unintentionally funny. And when the seven are united, they look at a reenactment of Cyborg getting attacked. So for some reason, instead of showing them a video, Cyborg physically goes through the motions oh, of yeah. being attacked while a hologram plays, which is grossly unnecessary. But everyone's <laughs> watching him seriously like, hey, Cyborg, could you stop right there midfall? Uh, thank you. Uh, can you see the angle of his fall? That means it's probably a fish person. Like, what? why did you do this? Just play a video, bro. What's going on, Justice League? Yeah, it's just like the Justice League has all this technology at their disposal, by which I mean Cyborg, and they just abuse that power by letting this, pretty much he's still a teenager, go through all of this stuff. And while watching the footage, they realized that Cyborg was attacked by Atlanteans, so now they have to do two big things. One find Atlantis, which for them just seems like a, a Tuesday. I mean, it's not like we haven't been trying to find Atlantis for years. Don't know if it's real or not, but if there's any Atlanteans there out here listening, please, uh, please let us know. Call us. <laughs> and also they discussed that they need to find somebody by the name of Dr. Steven Shin, who seems to know a lot more about Atlantis than any Star Labs scientists, renowned scientists out there. And they get his name from Shazam, who watched a reality show. That, that's how they're making connections. As you can already guess, the, the movie is not written as tightly <laughs> as something like Flashpoint Paradox in many ways. While the Justice League is figuring things out, we cut to scenes of Atlantis and we see the Queen talking to Orm, who is, Orm is pissed he is the prince of Atlantis, and he is pissed because during Justice League War, his father died, presumably because of a volcano that Darkseid unleashed. And now he wants to go against the surface for his father's death, for pollution, everything. He really wants to start a war, but his mother is preaching restraint. Also at this point, Atlanta brings forward the information that Orm has a brother, Arthur, who is a surface dweller, and that he is truly the rightful heir to the throne, given the fact that he is the firstborn child. Orm, and also joined there by his side, is Black Manta. They decide that it's time for them to take matters in their own hands, and Black Manta uses this sea craft disguised as a U.S. Navy submarine to attack another part of Atlantis to further the claims that the surface dwellers are attacking Atlantis and therefore they must go to war with them and shut everything down. And 
included on that craft were also the stolen missiles that was on the submarine that Cyborg realized were missing, meaning that Orm and Black Manta are behind all of this, all of this plotting. They cut back to Dr. Stevenson's home, which has been destroyed. All of his research has been ripped up and thrown into the water <laughs> that he has. He has a random aquarium in yeah, the middle of his house. <laughs> you don't have to take it that far, dude. He's a theoretical aqua person. Like, you don't need a whole water tank to prove that. Well, we'll read your scientific papers. It's okay. And at this point, it's a letter that reveals that Arthur Curry, Aquaman, is half Atlantean. Now, this is just this crazy moment where everybody knows about who Arthur is, but Arthur doesn't even know who he is. Yeah, so while Batman and Superman are putting this all together, Aquaman gets attacked by a bunch of Atlanteans. They show him no mercy, dogpile on him, but he barely escapes with a little help from Mira, who is an absolute savage in this movie, by the way. Mira will use water bending. most deadliest techniques killing jutsu only because she does not leave a single man alive (laughs) which is really awesome to see because you know we we've get first introduced to her in justice league flashpoint paradox and during that entire time she she's just this person from the past who unfortunately has her head taken off by wonder woman so we never really got a chance to see her fighting prowess and to see it now in this film was just awesome. So I can see now why I take it back. I think the last time I mentioned that I was shocked that Mira decided to go toe to toe with Wonder Woman. I take it back. I think she. I think she can hold her own. <laughs> yeah, this version can definitely throw hands. Mm-hmm. So as Mira takes Arthur away, she brings him to Atlantis, and while underwater, that's when he realizes that he can breathe because now we can visibly see the gills on his neck. She informs him of his past, who he is, his birthright, and brings him to somehow this unguarded location where the <laughs> king's armor is. And it's also his like the most power, one of the most powerful weapons as well. Like the I think it was the king's trident. Yeah. <laughs> the, just hanging out in like essentially what's a less security than like the Natural Museum of History? Like a gift shop. It's like hanging out in a, like an underwater gift shop. You just go <laughs> but in. Everything is free because <laughs> he just takes it all, puts it on and realizes that, you know, this suit isn't him because he just doesn't know anything about his history. But then as he takes everything off, that's where we get finally get to see the Aquaman super suit. Yeah, it looks pretty nice on him. I got to admit, some past designs of Aquaman's suit haven't looked that great but this one does fit him well it does the orange and green works um he strips off some parts of the armor to make it more lean but even with this armor on he just isn't quite feeling it so he decides let me just get a quick breather on the surface what could go wrong oh trench people because <laughs> they're attacked by a bunch of fishy ugly trench people and as they're being attacked uh, we cut back also to a scene in Atlantis where Orm is now fully demanding war following the attack on Atlantis. Atlanta disagrees with it still. And that's when she tells him that, you know, she knows that he's been a part of this plot this entire time. She knows that he was the one that orchestrated this attack on Atlantis. And as Black Manta comes up as backup, Queen Atlanta just throws him down. 
And it's just like, you could see now that like, she's, this is the reason why she's queen. This is the reason why she made it to this top part of this warrior race of fish people. <laughs> Unfortunately, Orm stabs her right in the back, killing her instantly in this really, I had to question this because as she's floating away, you could see the blood coming out of her. Right. And does that mean that all of them are just now breathing in that blood there because yeah. it fills the water. Yeah, they, I don't think they showed it, but I think Aquaman has one of those fish tank filtration units on the top that cycles mm. in <laughs> dirty water uh, because otherwise, yeah, they're going to be breathing blood in there for at least a week. <laughs> it is really savage. Orm is completely willing to kill his mom to start this war and bloodshed because as his mom puts it, he just wasn't raised right. It's <laughs> really not the best painted character. We understand that he wants to do this, but I wish we would have got a little bit more into the why. Like if he was close to his father, I get it. But even then he's logically explained like, it wasn't the people on the surface that did this. It was a dude from space, like take it up with him. But right. no, he decides killing my mom to start a war is worth it. And this is just after he has also failed to kill his brother again with some trench people. Yeah. And during that fight, we get a chance to see Aquaman in full attack mode. We, we kind of saw it during the bar fights in the beginning, but this time we see a more realized Aquaman as he's fighting on land. You see his, um, we see his durability to taking every single hit. He's working alongside Mira, who's used, using her water bending skills like crazy. And at that moment, this is when the League all comes in full force. Flash is running on water, saying that we have located Arthur Curry. It is time to, to jump in because it looks like he's getting messed up. And this is when we see the League again work together in such an amazing way. To It shows that even though with this time apart, they still know how to fight with one another. And as they um, start talking to Arthur and Mira, they realize what everything is happening. And Arthur and Mira decide to head down to Atlantis so that Arthur can finally become the new king of Atlantis. And Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and Cyborg join along to ensure that this is a smooth transition. While they're down there, they find out that... Queen Atlana is dead from a random resident of Atlantis. So when they go to see Orm, Orm finally meets his brother for the first time. He shares that he is the true king, now using the title of Ocean Master, and reveals to them that he was the one that killed Queen Atlana. They try to fight him off, but unfortunately, through Atlantis magic, they are all defeated. And this is the first time that I think... <laughs> No, sorry. I was just like instantly defeated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> instantly. And this is like the first time I think in this new 52 universe that we actually get to see how Superman deals with magic. And as we know, Superman is not good with magic. I think he's afraid of card tricks. Like this is how <laughs> bad he is with magic. So Orm is able to use this and we get a chance to actually see that Superman is injured. He's been pierced or stabbed by one of the, the marks on the trident. And as they all fall into this state of unconsciousness, Orm has them wrapped around this egg-like 
chrysalis yeah. thing. Yeah, some egg bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> then he is like, I'll feed you to a trench monster. Which I mean, I have I have a, a question about that. Um, why why do that at all? Like <laughs> Orm, as we see later, can clearly kill every single person there mm-hmm. with just regular trident powers, but he decides you know, be cool if I put them all in egg bubbles and fed them to my sea creature instead of just killing them when I clearly have a huge advantage. Okay, Orm, you do you. (laughs) And he should have just done that because as they are down there in this, the darkest part of the waters, Aquaman realizes that he too has the power to try it because he has royal blood within him. And he breaks out of the shell. He goes over to help Superman, who also helps to break open all the other shells that everybody is in as they are trying to make their way back up to the surface because Orm has now led the Atlantis army to the surface. And they have already started with a massive tidal wave that covers Metropolis, or at least is reaching Metropolis. And then Orm just happens to be Moses now because he splits the water just enough yes. to so you can see every single <laughs> part of his army. This is another scene of uh, unintentional hilarity because right as the wave is about to come in, before it even parts, before the U.S. military even knows there are sea people there, they start shooting at it with like machine guns. <laughs> yes! Guys, yes. what the hell are you going to do? You're shooting water. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I paused it at that moment because I needed to know what were they hitting? Like, this is worse aim than any stormtrooper in Star Wars. <laughs> at least they can see that they're shooting at something. These guys were just like, the water, kill it. It's like, no, <laughs> no, guys. That's not how tsunamis work. <laughs> and before the Justice League can arrive on surface and help, Aquaman throws out the worst question mark i'll let you guys decide if this is the worst or best pickup line ever because he turns to mira and is like hey you want to go kill my half brother and stop him from taking over the world and she's like oh yeah like she's into it (laughs) and i mean it tracks because you know she leaves no one alive but it's it's such a weird thing to say to your <laughs> potential love interest. It's just like how how I met your mother. Well, she was down to kill my brother. So let's do it. <laughs> That's all I need. So as we go back up to the surface, we see this massive fight that's honestly a little bit reminiscent of the fight that we saw in the Justice League Flashpoint Paradox movie of Atlantis fighting in Metropolis with all the heroes trying to stop them from truly taking over. And we see some people getting saved, including Wonder Woman saving Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen. Uh, My favorite one of all is Superman saves John Henry Irons right before he saves someone else himself. And for anybody who doesn't know who John Henry Irons is, he is Steel in the DC universe, but you might remember him from a movie way back when where he's played by Shaquille O'Neal. And yes. was dressed in full armor. Yes. If we talk about movies that deserved an Oscar but didn't get it, um, <laughs> Steel wouldn't make that list because it's terrible. <laughs> but it's so bad. <laughs> Steel, Steel is up there with like Catwoman and, <laughs> you know, Ben Affleck, Daredevil, it, Elektra. It's all bad. But they have this great moment that 
it's going to pay off way later. But mm. when it does, it's so sweet. But I, I loved, I just loved, even if it had no comic history or anything, the fact that this man was Irons, was just willing to pick up a hammer and oh, yeah. just bash Atlanteans after he saw an alien attack months ago. I Come on, man. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a hero. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that is definitely a hero. That is it. You know what, man? Steel, we need another Steel movie. Add it into the DCEU. You know, once Flash, I guess, reboots the entire universe. <laughs> Let's get Jaden Smith as Steel. That is our fan <laughs> petition. We didn't, we have skipped it a little bit, but here's a petition worth it. Hashtag Jaden Steele. Please go to Patreon and support our <laughs> petition. I'm putting it on Patreon for some reason. Let's go. Let's get Jaden Smith to steal. And as we see all these people being saved and possibly new characters being introduced, we also get a chance to see Black Manta, who's been working with Orm this entire time, attack Arthur. And he reveals that he is only working with Orm because he wants to overthrow Ocean Master at the end of this and take Atlantis for himself. And just as he's getting into this monologue, he's like, which is a really funny monologue where he's going like, I don't like Orm. I think he's an immature brat. He's Mm -hmm. annoying. All of a sudden, Aquaman uses his telepathic fish powers. A shark comes up and just bites him. And that's it. (laughs) There you go. He's Black Manta is out of this battle. Done. (laughs) And the rest of the the league is just fighting as Black Manta just dragged into the ocean. (laughs) Unbothered and unfazed because Ocean Master clearly is the real threat. But here's a good point about the battle, too. Um, Where the hell is Batman? For the majority of this battle, I I kid you not, I kid you not. If you have not seen this movie, once the battle on the surface starts, from that time to maybe the last two minutes of the fight, Batman is doing absolutely nothing. He is not shooting from the sky. He's not quarterbacking. Did he take a lunch? <laughs> He was on break, you know, they, they, he's part of the Justice League reserves. He doesn't care about this league now, as you can see from the beginning of the film. <laughs> and if they were trying to do like, okay, maybe what they were trying to go for is that Batman had to physically fly from Atlantis where Shazam and Flash could have gotten there faster. <laughs> Show that, please, because now I'm just picturing Batman as like, all right, Green Lantern's doing pretty good. Oh, super. Uh, 50-50, I don't know, something's off today. While he's just chilling. Maybe he's on a <laughs> phone call with Damien's babysitter and is like, hey, uh, did he did he cut up the curtains again? I'm, I'm sorry. I'll, I, I'll buy you a new school. It doesn't matter. But then Batman does finally join the fight after everybody's knocked unconscious. Cyborg gets pretty much impaled, electrocuted, and disabled. If you thought he was messed up during Justice League Flashpoint Paradox, this entire scene was just reminiscent of that. That opened up some old wounds for me, but Batman was able to get in in time before his heart was exposed again. Batman, to save Cyborg, pulls out a taser (laughs) and just electrocutes this poor man. And it works, but come on, Batman could not have known that that was going to (laughs) work. Oh yeah, no. Like this dude is this dude is like a PS5, an Xbox, like all put together, and you brought a taser. Yeah, I, anyone at home with a laptop or TV, you just let me know if you would put a taser to it. 
And if the answer is no, then you have more respect for technology than Batman had for Cyborg. <laughs> As Cyborg comes back, we get a call back to the beginning of the film where Batman asked Cyborg, like, as you were down there, did you hear Orm confess to the murder of his mother? Cyborg responds yes, and at that point realizes that he can use the same 3D imagery that he did to show the Atlantean attack that he was victim to, to show that Ocean Master was the one that killed his mother by playing the confessional audio to every single Atlantean soldier that's around there. This demoralizes Orm, and Aquaman beats him up a little bit. Mm -hmm. We're blazing over the Aquaman-Orm fight because let's just be honest, it's nothing special. There's nothing remarkable or cool happens in that fight. Yeah, it's literally one punch. (laughs) Yeah, Aquaman's just throwing hands. He didn't even bring a trident with him. He just (laughs) throws hands, which is really funny because there was a much better Aquaman fight earlier with fluid animation and rotating angles. And here it just resolves to punching people really hard. And so Orm starts crying and all the warriors of Atlantis go like, hey, wait a minute. He killed our queen? Huh. Maybe this war is completely unfounded. You guys want to <laughs> go home? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's just let's go. And, and there you go. Battle's over. That's it. (laughs) And then we just immediately cut now to Atlantis, where it's reminiscent of that end scene of Justice League War, of the League watching as Arthur is crowned as King of Atlantis. Batman has now decided that, you know, the League is all right. I think we should solidify this team a bit more, even creating a headquarters, which Cyborg now calls a watchtower. And Aquaman even decides that he wants to join the League and reluctantly takes the name of Aquaman because that's what people are calling him in the papers. It all closes with Mira coming over to Aquaman, tells him that there are trenchers who are invading Atlantis and must go and fight them. And Aquaman pulls out the trident with some flourish as he calls forward every single sea creature to come and join this fight, which I will say was a bit of overkill. But it, I did it like is. it. It is. It's so so much overkill. He didn't even try doing it by himself. He just right. calls every single sea creature, not an Atlantean, mind you. He's just like a bunch of random fish. And you know, tons of fish must have died in that battle. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't care. Before the movie ends, I have to ask if there's another continuity slash physics error. Because the three people who didn't go underwater the first section of the movie were Shazam, Batman, and Flash. Now, Shazam with the air breather, I think he can be fine down there. But wouldn't the water pressure like instantly kill Batman and Flash? Because they're pretty significantly deep underwater and they have no protection. Oh, 100%. I actually have a whole thing about this when I talk about the comic book knowledge because they addressed it very well (laughs) in the comic book. Jesus, they, uh, wow. Wow, this is, oh, man. Uh, Before we talk about that, out of 10 trench people, how many trench people would you give this film? It's it's a very soft five with the potential for a four for me. <laughs> um, I will not say that I hated this movie. I didn't hate this movie completely. There's a lot of fun little moments and character interactions, but it is just so thin. If you turned it sideways, it would be a straight line. It just is so thin. And one of the biggest problems with the movie 
I'll segue this into my Arte alteration at the same time because it's it can sum up all the problems with the movie. Develop your characters. Yes. None of the relationships that they introduce in the first half go anywhere. You have this whole Superman-Diana relationship. They forget about it for the majority of the movie. You have these interesting character dynamics between Batman and Green Lantern. They show up for a minute in the final battle, and then they're gone. I mean, they forget about Batman (laughs) at one point. So I do understand the spotlight is on Aquaman for this movie, and that is fine. But if you're going to do that, just like Flash and Green Lantern and Shazam, for the most part in this movie, are essentially side characters that don't have any arcs and aren't trying to be given arcs, do that for everybody else because you didn't do anything with them anyway. So why <laughs> tease us with these big dramatic things if you're not going to focus on any of them? Yeah, I agree. I also agree with our rating four to five because this felt like the Justice League was just added to this movie. And that's really because based off the comic, it really was more of Justice League, Aquaman, they really tied the story together. But by switching it to an Aquaman origin story, this team doesn't really have a purpose, in my opinion. I could have watched this. This was basically the Aquaman 2018 film done with the Justice League in tow. And honestly, when you see the Aquaman 2018 film and put these side by side, wow. It, the 2018 film is so much better. It fleshes out Orm. Like Orm in that movie is still not the deepest fish in the pool, but <laughs> we cut to him enough to understand his motivations and you buy it because it's a really great performance. Mm-hmm. The Orm in this movie hams up every single line he's given. I think there was one line where I burst out laughing, another unintentional comedy where he's like, Superman, take this lightning. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, are you an anime character? What are we doing? This is not consistent with the tone of the movie. You just killed your mom. What are you doing? (laughs) It truly just is all over the place. It felt like they had a plan in the first part of the film and it just, or the second part of the film. And they tried, it almost as if they worked backwards. Like we knew that we had to get to this war, but they also know that they didn't introduce Aquaman at any point. So how do we introduce Aquaman while also having this war that was just so reminiscent, which I enjoyed of Justice League Flashpoint Paradox. And since we take all of that, it just really became <laughs> my first my first feeling is just like, this is what happens when you have a Josh Sweden cut. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh God, yes. This is something, something went sideways here because this development is just, uh, the story development here was just not A1. Mm-hmm. And for a relatively solid streak of DC animated movies up to this point, this definitely sticks out immediately as they did not put as much effort into this plot as yep. the previous three. Even the weakest of the the previous three doesn't hold a candle to how weak this story is. All right. Now that was the movies. Time to dive into that comic book knowledge. First off, really quickly, Aquaman, our hero here, was created by Mort Weisinger and Paul Norris and first appeared in, no joke about this title, More Fun Comics, number 73, back in November of 1941. 
<laughs> more fun oh wow that's a perfect descriptor for aquaman all right <laughs> and it's crazy to see that because you know like eventually he grows to be one of the founding members of the league showing that he's always been powerful but it wasn't until personally i think it was the robot chicken family guy era that he kind of lost his cool factor <laughs> yeah he's been a joke like no one wants to be Aquaman. No one wants to hold a uh, what, wait. What did Superman call it? A shrimp fork. <laughs> That's in the notes. He did say that. Go go rewind it if you don't believe me. And it's true because I mean I'll admit it, and I'm pretty sure Andrew, you'll admit it, and anyone listening, they'll admit it. Whenever I think of DC heroes, Aquaman is not the one I think of when I think about awesomeness. <laughs> no, there's. Harley Quinn comes before him, mm-hmm. Captain Boomerang even. Even Kite Man. Kite Man, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> but it's crazy because when you think about it, Aquaman is a king. And his comics, which I will say that after reading this run of the Throne of Atlantis storyline by Jeff Johns, I probably should start taking a bit more of a look into because I can see it being rich with that great diplomatic dialogue that if you're a fan of like time period dramas... You, you might enjoy. Yeah, does it go a little bit deeper in motivations and character than the movie did? <laughs> Hopefully. And because, especially with the story that this is based off of. So as I mentioned, this is a 2012 to 2013 story arc by Jeff Johns and Ivan Rice. Um, this is actually one of the stories that was right into the New 52 continuity and this story is what, what I would like to now call 30,000 Justice Leagues Under the Sea. <laughs> it's too good of a title for this. <laughs> <laughs> this story takes place about five years after their first meeting. So Justice League Origins or Justice League War is really a prequel. This is now current time. Um, but we still see the same things of there's this reluctant team that the Justice League is now is. And it actually takes place between a set of Justice League comics and also Aquaman comics. So seven comics in total that tell this story. And in this version, it's less of an Aquaman origin story. He's already found Atlantis. He's discovered his birthright. He's taken his place as king. And he's also renounced his place as king so that he can give it to his brother. As you do. And even now in this version, he's more of a member of the Justice League and he's working with Mira, who he's met, fallen in love with and all that jazz. And we also get a chance to see that Arthur is now working on his relations between the surface dwellers and Atlantis. So really to just say, I want to say this really quickly, this story was way better than the movie that we had to watch. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, there are some similarities, like Orm is the villain, the Justice League members are there, but I will say at this point, Shazam is still not a part of the League at this point. And the look and feel of Atlantis is all similar. We also see, which was a really nice callback for me, of the dream sequence that was in the beginning of the film. Cyborg actually has that same one where he sees himself as a full human again, he's enjoying life. And then his whole cyborg armor is calling back to him, telling him it's time to wake up. In the movie and in the comic as well, Cyborg does choose to remove his lung. In the beginning, it happened in the movie where it just seemed like it was a, you know, as as if Cyborg was getting a tattoo or something. It was just so nonchalant. Yeah, he was like, oh, 
mechanical one sounds fun <laughs> but this time in the comic which i really liked better was cyborg decides to get rid of his lung after he learns that batman superman and wonder woman when going to atlantis they were captured by orm so he decides to get rid of his lung so that he could travel down to atlantis and bring them back wow so there was an actual motivation like it was a heroic thing to yeah. get rid of his lung not just ah, i got nothing to do at two o'clock today might mm-hmm. as well get a mechanical lung <laughs> also the other big similarity is that this comic and this movie we, got, we see a lot of the beginning stages of that superman wonder woman romantic relationship the first film we saw it and it's part of the first comic story arc in the movie, as I mentioned, they get to meet in, in Athens to go on this date. While they're there, there's this scene that's from Justice League number 12. Wonder Woman grabs Superman and they actually fly in the air. And that scene in the movie was supposed to be reminiscent of that. I kind of wish they didn't pan out because in the comic is just beautifully drawn. And we also see them talking about the use of glasses so that it can blend into society and not be just this you know, these super beings who are larger than men. And I will say it added a bit more depth to their characters because, you know, we have some great dialogue in the film from that, but to have a moment where we see that Superman is trying to bring Wonder Woman into his world, where it's in the first set of comics, Superman is definitely this larger than life being, uh, definitely this guy who, as he steps, the world shakes. But now it's just like, he's trying to take that back. And Wonder Woman most likely has leaned into more of a, you know, she it, she recognizes how powerful she is. So he, it's the two of them bonding over that. And that's something that I love to see during this early stages of the comic, and especially in this one, because they do go on that date. And instead of it being interrupted by Shazam and Cyborg coming in, they actually get hit by a tidal wave. And that's when they go into to super mode. <laughs> that, oh my God, this... I want to read this. This sounds much better than what I was watching. (laughs) Uh, Next, I'm going to just talk about the major differences in the film. So, which I mentioned, there are a lot of, because this story is talking about more actualized Aquaman. So the first thing is the Atlantean war plans and Orm's motivations. The plans are definitely way more gruesome in the comic than where they're described in the film. In the film, it's just... Orm talking about like we can open up these plans they were like as if they were written decades and centuries ago it's only one city that they attack in the movie it's only metropolis because apparently only things only happen in metropolis metrop where's metropolis on the dc map again that's a very good question i've always been confused because smallville's supposed to be in kansas and every single superman iteration it always seems like Metropolis is just like a couple hours drive away, but I feel like Metropolis is, should be more near the Eastern Seaboard. Yeah, because I'm like, I thought it was in Chicago for some reason, but <laughs> then I'm like, why would you do a tidal wave to Chicago? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got so many other options. <laughs> but the plans are much more gruesome because not only do they attack Metropolis, but they also attack Gotham and Boston all at the same time with massive tidal waves. Hundreds, if not thousands, died at that point. And the next step of the plans was to assess which city was destroyed the most and occupy that as the full frontal assault that Orm decides to take his Atlantean army in. And it's just for me here and now, it's like, that makes sense. You capitalize on the current destruction. 
And, you know, we're thinking that, you know, Orm has a pretty good idea. But the crazy part about this was that Aquaman was the one that actually drafted these plans. Oh, betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when Arthur first learned about his heritage, he went down to Atlantis, tried to be the king that he, that um, people wanted him to become. But there were a lot of the Atlantean citizens just felt that they should not have to follow a half-breed. So he decided to lean more into this hatred of the surface that he was developing while down there. And he created these plans. But then once he realized that he could never truly win over his Atlantean citizens, he decided to give Orm back the title as king. And Orm's hate for the surface wasn't just about his father's death because his father, I believe his father did die around the time of the, of the dark side invasion but he also just normally already hated the surface for everything that they've done for poisoning their waters and all that in this comic i mean i'm not entirely too sure if it was true or not but orm seemed a bit more sympathetic about arthur being stuck up on the surface so he thought that by bringing him back down to atlantis that might help and that's why he was so grateful when Arthur came to Atlantis and took over as king and was even angry when Arthur decided to renounce the title to go back up to the surface because he was under the impression that Arthur went up there to rule the surface dwellers. Damn. Miscommunication. Classic. Uh, also, Black Manta. He is Aquaman's greatest adversary. Like, Orm is probably like doesn't really matter to Aquaman as much. <laughs> Black Manta is Aquaman's greatest adversary. And unfortunately, he is actually not in this story arc at all in the comic. Mm. We do see a little nod in the movie of Black Manta mentioning that he was going to take over from Orm. But actually, it is Volko, Aquaman's mentor, who first introduces Arthur to the idea of Atlantis, who's really behind this entire war that's happening, because he wants Arthur to come back and become the king of Atlantis once again. That seems fair. When you got a guy calling himself Ocean Master, yeah, want to go with someone who's going with a relatively normal name of Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know, this was a really big betrayal that I would have loved to have seen play out in the film because Volko was just this elderly looking guy who pretty much is like has the strength of Aquaman and everything but to have it be like this was somebody that helped take care of Arthur as he was growing up to not see this betrayal played out on film and to kind of push it over to Black Manta to have this one line about it before he gets eaten by a shark. It really took away this awesome moment for me that I wish they, they had done. And last but not least, the question that we've all been wondering, what are the laws of physics in Atlantis? Please explain because I, I'm very confused. The egg thing already broke my mind, but <laughs> What's going on down in Atlantis? What's what's doing it? Yeah, everyone should have died. Every single, <laughs> <laughs> the entire Justice League should not have survived that. <laughs> and they talk about that too. In the comic, we have the Trinity go down there. By the Trinity, I mean Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. 
they're the ones who join Aquaman down in Atlantis to go confront Orm as they realize more and more that Orm is not going to stop unless they try to intervene in Atlantis. So while they're down there, they get captured in the eggshell thing and Cyborg and Aquaman, once Cyborg has removed his lung and has gone to find them, Cyborg and Aquaman are the ones that are trying to break them out of that shell. Cyborg has a conversation with Batman in which he tells him that we can't break you out the shell, otherwise you will die. And Batman's like, don't worry, my suit's been pressurized. And Aquaman's just like, I'm sorry, you thought your suit was pressurized at this level depth of water? You're going to die (laughs) if you try to break out of this shell. You will be crushed instantaneously. Who do you think you are? He's Batman. But (laughs) yeah, I would have, oh my God, that yeah, this made no sense to me because it just looked like Batman was wearing his regular, regular suit. And he was. He was not instantly crushed to death. And I felt that was really inaccurate. So this eggshell thing is the only thing that's protecting them from really being crushed there. And even Cyborg, I will say, possibly would have been affected too because of the fact that he still has some human parts about him. Or even just his armor should have been dented a bit. But his suit was probably way more durable than Batman's regular regular body. <laughs> yeah, it it just, that was the last thing that put me over the finish line for this movie. <laughs> just seeing, seeing that just casually in Atlantis, I'm like, guys, you don't, you didn't care. You didn't care about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like when you decide to break all the laws of physics. And honestly, that took me out of the movie too, because to just see Batman and all the rest of the, you know, like basically the normal-ish people just wearing a mask to deal with the water pressure of Atlantis just did not make any sense. So I appreciate that the comic decided to take some time and explain why certain people were at this point and how were they able to survive that. It doesn't have all these fun Easter eggs that we got to see with John Henry Irons and the Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen interaction with Wonder Woman. But I take science over Easter egg (laughs) at any point. Me too. (laughs) But that was it. Those were really the big moments in in the comic that were not translated into film, unfortunately, (laughs) that I would have loved to see. So if it's possible to get this done, where I get to see that betrayal that Volko had, because, you know, he he is Aquaman's mentor. And he was like the former head of the Royal Guard and an advisor to the throne. So he knows everything. To take that completely out for one line other by Black Manta before he is eaten by a shark... I feel like the movie did not do this comic justice. Yeah, it definitely feels like there was some disjointed things going on when bringing the story. It just didn't feel like a fully formed and realized arc for anybody. And especially the last thing I really want to say about the plot is a lot of the emotion driving Aquaman is supposed to be his mother dying. And the thing is, he never meets his mother. For most of the movie, he resents his mother. And he gets like, oh, I might get to see my mom. He gets happy for two minutes. And then he's like, oh, no, you killed my mom. I'm going to get you. And God, compared to Aquaman 2018, Aquaman in that movie is very conflicted about his mother. He wants to see her. He's sad. He understands. But you can see there's some emotion there from the beginning. 
And when he reunites with her, it's such an exciting, cathartic moment for him. But I felt like if she had been dead in that movie, he would have produced a response that I would have believed because it would have gotten out all these emotions and things that he was working through. But here it's just like, shoot, mom's dead. Better go kill my half-brother. Want to come? <laughs> like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I'm not sure where they were trying to go with it. And unfortunately, we don't get to see much more of Aquaman in the rest of the universe. <laughs> you forget about him. <laughs> yeah, he's completely forgot about. But that's okay, because I guess we're going to head back into Gotham City. <laughs> For about five more movies. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but you know what? I'm excited for it because, you know, this is a movie that I will always grab popcorn for as you're about to see the biggest title card fight of our generation. Yes. Call Dick Grayson from Bloodhaven because he needs to break up a fight next time when we go to Batman versus Robin. Or is it Batman v. Robin? I don't know. (laughs) Zack Snyder has ruined me. Now that we've finished talking about our DC animated content, here are some recommended readings for you. All these comics and more can be found at your local comic shop, so remember to venture out and support your part of the source wall, and tell them Andrew and Shamar sent you. The first comic on our list is Justice League Volume 3 Throne of Atlantis. This collection includes all seven issues from the Justice League and the Aquaman story arcs that inspired this movie. Next we have Aquaman Volume 1 The Trench. This is the first collection of the New 52 Aquaman comics with Jeff Johns at the helm, showing Arthur's worth as King of Atlantis when he's facing off against the biggest threat, the Trench. Last on our list is Justice League Aquaman Drowned Earth. Although a post-New 52 story, this collection sees Aquaman get tested to his absolute limits as he takes on the ancient ocean lords who wish to destroy the world with a cosmic flood. That's all for our list. Thank you for listening and be sure to rate, review, and follow yet another DC animated podcast. Also, interact with us on social media for news on upcoming content. Take care and we'll see you for the next issue.